0: Hello friends, and welcome back to Delighted Motherhood, a podcast devoted to delighting ourselves in the Lord and in our callings as moms. I'm your host, Kira Nelson. It's a Saturday night for me, and it's been a super long and a super full week, and I'm pretty tired, especially when I'm tired, but honestly, just all of the time. I love to cuddle up with my kids and read a really good book. Right now, we're actually in the midst of several read out louds. In the mornings, the kids and I are reading this cute version of Pilgrim's Progress called Little Pilgrim's Progress that's written by Helen Taylor. And in this version, all of the characters are depicted as woodland creatures and the illustrations are super cute. In the car, we've been listening to The Wizard of Oz, which was originally published in 1900, which I actually didn't know. Um, We're also in the evenings with Daddy, we've been reading Chronicles of Narnia, downstairs while the kids do puzzles and I knit. And it's just so fun. It's so fun to read these stories. And what I love is that even my little kids who are just five and three, um, and Johnny, who's one, but I don't know how much he's paying attention, but even my little kids who are five and three are just hooked on story. They'll always beg for one more chapter. Daniel will say, I just wanna know what's gonna happen. Is Christian going to be left to be destroyed by the wolves? Or will he make it to the celestial city of the king? Is he gonna be deceived and led away by the wicked prince's servants? Or is he gonna withstand? Are Dorothy and her friends going to escape the field of poisonous poppies? Or will they be trapped forever in a never ending sleep without hope of ever getting home to Kansas? Is Edmund going to be killed by the White Witch? Or is the rescuer going to appear? Is Aslan going to stay dead? Has the underbelly of the world prevailed? Is all hope lost? Or will the great lion roar again? A compelling story captivates us in a way that a textbook just never can. And God, in his infinite wisdom, didn't choose to reveal himself to us in a textbook. God made us to learn through stories and he reveals himself in a story, the salvation story. In the next couple of weeks, I have some super exciting interviews lined up for us with wise older women who are gonna be talking practically about how to be in the word and in prayer daily and to be faithful in that throughout our journey of motherhood. But tonight, I want to chat just with you, just, the, just us, about narratives and why narrative matters. And specifically, why the narrative we believe about God matters more than anything else to our mothering. To try and understand Christianity without seeing it as a narrative is really to our detriment. It's like reading in a textbook that in the fall, chlorophyll production in leaves slows down and causes the leaves to change color. That's very descriptive, but it's nothing like when I walk out into the woods in October and I get to see the vibrant colors and shapes of the leaves appear. The textbook helps me make sense of the changing colors of those leaves but it's not the full-bodied experience of being in the woods. When I read that God is loving, that's wonderful. But when I read that God opened the eyes of Elisha's terrified servant to see the holy host of heaven that surrounded him and protected him, that's another thing. I know that God cares about the widow and the orphan. But it's entirely another thing to read about how the Lord miraculously used a widow's few drops of oil to fill to the brim every jar in her house so that she could pay all of her debts and provide for her starving sons. Now my heart is captivated and I understand these truths about the Lord in a much more meaningful way. Narrative super matters. Recognizing I am part of the story of the king changes the way I see my circumstances. It changes the way I talk about my role as a mom. It changes the focus from me and what I've done or not done to the Lord. Instead of being consumed by the narrative of motherhood as a burden or motherhood as martyrdom or just the grumpy discontentment that fills our age, Our minds instead are captivated by the story of a rescuer. And we get to see almost everything through that much more beautiful lens. The story of salvation is epic. It's page turning. It's the story of good versus evil, of cosmic battles, of angel armies, And the salvation story is honestly, it's the foundation of every other worthwhile story we'll ever encounter. All of those good stories, the stories that my kids and I love to read snuggled up on the couch or sitting out on the front porch, all those good stories are just echoes of this greatest story that's ever been told. Ah, in the story of salvation, we get to see God on display. Just like in those stories that I love to read my kids, there is something terribly wrong. There's a restless, wicked evil at work, and it's been this way since the Garden of Eden. In the beginning, there were two humans created by God who God breathed life into. They were beautiful. They were complete. They were in love. They walked with the one who loved them, and they lived in perfect peace. But it wasn't to remain this way the wicked one the serpent the son of deception and lies the prince of the power of the air slipped into that paradise he slipped in to the confidence of fair eve and although this woman loved by god and loved by her husband lived in perfect harmony she allowed herself to be led astray. She listened to the words of the sly devil and they sank down deep within her soul. The more she listened, the more she was convinced. She could rule. She could map out her own way. She could do whatever pleased her most. Because after all, how could she be wrong? And so she defied the perfect, holy, righteous God who had made her. And thus, she spread sin to all of her race. Her husband joined her in her treachery, and they became enemies of God. In a moment, the light of unending life vanished from them and was replaced instead with original sin and with the sting of death. No longer could this race rest in perfect peace with God. No, they were driven from his sight and an angel with a flaming sword was left to bar the entrance. All hope seemed lost, except that a promise was given. From the woman would come a seed, a son, a chosen one who would crush the head of the serpent. The glimmer of hope was given. Could Could this wickedness be undone? Could God dwell again with man? For generations, it seemed the answer was perhaps no, for evil and vileness spread and festered. Soon, the whole earth was so filled with wickedness that God, who had made it, the perfect one who spoke the world into being, he was grieved and he determined to destroy this wicked world. And yet, this perfectly holy, unapproachable divinity chose one man, one man, Noah, and his family who walked with God. He chose Noah to preserve. So the Lord shut Noah up in the ark, the ark of Noah's salvation. And as the entire world perished in the holy flood of the creator's wrath, this one man and his family, this seed of the woman remained. The waters dried up. And Noah left the ark, and mankind again multiplied on the earth. But the intent of the heart of man was still wickedness. Instead of desiring the way of their maker, instead of following the pattern of him in whose image they were made, they patterned themselves after the deceiver, the devil. Human beings, instead of seeing children as gifts to be protected and nurtured, mankind worshiped gods made in their image. Gods who required abominations, such as child sacrifice, and the land itself reeked from their sin. But into that paganism, the Lord established a covenant with one man Abraham not a perfect man but a man of faith God didn't reveal the full plan of salvation the full mysteries but he promised that from this one man his family and all the nations of the earth would be blessed but how could this possibly be for from this man's family came a great nation. As numerous as the stars in the heavens, they were enslaved. They were delivered. They wandered for 40 years in the wilderness due to the hardness of their hearts. They were used by God to carry out judgment against the wickedness of the land, but their hearts too were wicked. Their hearts too were bent towards evil and idolatry. Although God gave them his very words, although he spoke to them his own law, their hearts were still bent towards the deceiver, towards the evil one who had brought them this terrible lie. A promised king was given, one after God's own heart, a young shepherd boy, David, whose thoughtful mind and reliance on the one true God brought down Goliath, the giant. This young man served God fully, and so the lord established with him an everlasting covenant god promised that from the line of this man would come a king god promised that from the line of this man would come a king a king who would bring everlasting peace and an eternal reign but alas David sinned. David sinned wickedly. And as a result of sin and of his sin, the nation of Israel split in two. The northern and southern kingdoms of Israel began and then ensued years of wicked kings and rebellions. Prophets proclaiming the word of the Lord, but the people scorning them. Repentance for a time and then idolatry. And then as a result, exile and captivity and then silence 400 years of silence no prophecy no word from god silence israel was once again a captive nation ruled by the roman empire desperate for a deliverer so in the stillness of the stable a baby was born he wasn't a man quite like any other he was a man who was whole He was good, and there was no unrighteousness in him. Unlike Adam and Eve, the intention of his heart was pure. He could not be deceived by the deceiver. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he willingly submitted himself to the Father. He said, not my will, but yours be done. When the Roman soldiers and the Jewish leaders came to take him away, he willingly went like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth on the cross. He was hung to die for crimes. He did not commit in that moment. He took on himself in his body, the sins of the world. He cried out, father, forgive them. He had never turned away from the father. And yet the father turned his face away from the son. And laid his full wrath upon him. And then Jesus gave up his spirit and he died. He was buried in a tomb. And just when it seemed like all hope was lost, just when it seemed that the darkness had won, Christ the Lord rose back to life. He rose back to life and he crushed the head of the serpent and with his resurrection, he inaugurated a new way of life. All those who trust in him as their savior, who repent of their sin, he gives a new mind. He creates them to be new creations with the ability to serve him. I have done absolutely nothing to deserve the rescue of Jesus. I was dead in my transgressions and my sins, right? Think about this story with me, okay? Since the garden, what has been the pattern of mankind? It has been death and wickedness and evil. I can see this pattern over and over again in the story of scripture. And into that darkness, where mankind was totally lost, God sent one man. God sent his son, his beloved son. To die and then to be resurrected. And guys, this is the God who says to me on a Saturday night when I'm super exhausted. This is the God who says to me, Kira, I have made you a mom and I call you to holiness. This is the God who says to me, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. This is the same God who tells me to do all things without grumbling and complaining that I may be blameless and innocent, a child of God in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom I might shine as a light in the world. Oh, ladies, isn't that incredible? The salvation story changes everything. When that story captivates my mind, when that narrative is what seeps into my daydreams, and causes me to consider the deep things of God when I'm doing laundry or driving in the car or doing whatever else. When I remember that I am part of his glorious story, motherhood ceases to be about me, right? I can demand nothing when Christ, when the Lord Christ is ever before me, when my story is a part of his story, grumbling and complaining and griping about mom life are just excluded. Here's the beautiful thing. Okay. This is one of the things I just, I love about the Lord. He says, don't grumble and complain. And then when I don't grumble and complain, but instead think of the ways to give thanks in all circumstances, what happens? What happens to my narrative? When I change it in that way, it becomes lovelier. My story of motherhood ceases to be an endless laundry list of complaints. They spilled milk on the floor. Everyone was screaming all day. I have poop on my shirt. And my husband is obviously a jerk because he's working a job and he's home late. Instead, my narrative, when I choose to obey the words of the Lord that say, not to grumble and complain, but to give thanks in all circumstances. Instead, the things that fill my mind are greatest thy faithfulness and the smile of my little clapping baby. It becomes the sweet victory of a creative workout at 6.15 p.m. when I realize my husband's not gonna be able to come home so I can do a workout. It becomes the fun of the steam coming off of my cup of tea while I'm doing watercolors with the kiddos. When I am compelled by the narrative of God to see his face, And to obey him, my life is lovelier. When the story of Jesus conquering the grave drives me to put my interests aside and consider the interests of another, my day's actually nicer. Like I'm actually happier. I'm actually more full of enjoyment, more full of delight. I totally get we're all in different circumstances. I'm not trying to argue that your circumstance is just the same as mine or, or that my circumstance is harder than your circumstance in any way. But whatever we're in, we can seek the Lord and we can obey him. If we go back to uh, our story that we talked about before the hiding place, Betsy Ten Boom, the Dutch clockmaker, she was imprisoned in a Nazi death camp for hiding Jews in her home and in that darkest place she experienced the loveliness of god in a beautiful way by starting a bible study in the flea infested barracks around that single dingy light bulb she was captivated by the narrative of jesus and that changed everything about the way that she lived even in a death camp i love i love this quote from martin luther it says the bible is alive it speaks to me it has feet it runs after me it has hands it lays hold of me ladies i'm really excited for these upcoming interviews i'm excited to talk to these seasoned women about how to be in the word about how to consider the lord in prayer and then to talk about how to consider the lord in everything in going on a run in doing laundry in in doing watercolors with our kids and all of these different things let us set the lord ever, ever before us. So that's what I have for tonight, friends. I was just thinking about these things and I didn't plan to do an episode tonight, but yeah, I think I just love the narrative of scripture and I was excited to share it with you. So let's let the Bible lay hold of us. Let's get excited to learn from older women, to be swept up, in the story that God is unfolding. And I encourage you to read stories with your kids because that is just super, super fun. Something that my kids and I love to do is to sit on the front porch of our house. I have like a special basket that has old blankets in it that we will use on cold days, like January days like this, but go somewhere fun, whether it's out on a park bench or the top of your, um, your apartment complex roof, or whatever, wherever you are, find somewhere fun to read some stories with your kids. Be captivated by story and how they all point to the Lord, the giver of life. And until next time, sisters, may God help us to delight in him as we delight in the calling that he is giving us.